Hey folks, welcome to the Church of the Outer Banks podcast. This is Joey Fitzgerald, your host and the pastor at Church of the Outer Banks in Nags Head, North Carolina. Have you ever seen uh, two streams come together uh, and, and where the two streams run into one another? All of a sudden, what might have been you know one medium-sized stream and one smaller stream, uh, they join into something much bigger. Now imagine if there were three streams that were uh, flowing uh, independently of one another, but but all of a sudden as those three streams converge, you end up with a pretty large flowing river. And of course, on its own, a stream can make a, lar- a mark in a uh, in in the landscape. It can uh, it can dive deep into the dirt, into the rocks, uh, and uh, form its own path. But when three streams would come together and, and make a larger uh, larger body of water, a, a river, that river is going to change the course of that landscape far more than the street three streams individually. Well, that's a, an analogy for a teaching uh, that I first stumbled across about 15 years ago called Three Streams, One River. It's something that's been around uh, for a while. I first heard it. Uh, from a retired Episcopal priest named Rennie Scott. Uh, Rennie was working at a church that uh, I was involved in, uh, in Dalton, Georgia. And uh, the idea behind this teaching is that there are three streams, three kind of big movements within the history of the Christian church. And that when those three streams run together, uh, it actually forms a far more powerful movement than when those three streams are separated. Uh, what are those three streams? What what do we see kind of in the history of the church that make up those three individual streams? Well, the first one has sometimes been called the evangelical stream. Uh, the second stream would be the uh, sacramental, uh, or sometimes called the Catholic stream. And uh, then the third stream would be called the Pentecostal or the charismatic stream. We've seen evidences of all of three of these streams from from the very beginning, and and I'll I'll do my best to define those those three streams today uh, for you. Uh, but I really want to actually focus on on one of those today, uh, the evangelical stream. Now at Church of the Outer Banks, we really do strive to have all three of those flow in us because we want to be one mighty river. Uh, we don't want to isolate these three streams. If you look around at the church today uh, in in the United States, um, and, and I use the word church broadly there, um, you will see that most churches fall into one of these three streams, and, and rarely do you find a church that that uh, is comfortable in more than one stream, uh, and certainly it's it's incredibly rare to find a church that is comfortable in in all three. They might dip their toe in one uh, or dip their toe in another, but they'll swim primarily in, uh, in, in one stream. Um, for example, you might go to a church um, that's very evangelical. Uh, they they um, uh, have set themselves up to preach the gospel to the, to the lost. And uh, because of that, they get a little skittish around anything that's liturgical. Uh, they get a little skittish around the sacraments, um, and uh, rarely will they engage in um, 
in things like the Lord's Supper, they might do those things, uh, you know, in a life group or a small group, um, but but they won't do it uh, necessarily prominently on a Sunday morning, maybe once a quarter or something like that. Now you might find another church that's very charismatic, um, and uh, but but again they're very charismatic. That's their focus, and so the sacraments and even evan- evangelism kind of falls by the wayside. Um, you'll you'll find some sacramental churches, some liturgical high churches uh, that really embrace that stream. But when it comes to preaching the gospel or raising your hands up in the air, speaking in tongues, they they get a little skittish, and so. You can see what I mean. You've probably been to a church. Um, uh, you've probably been to one of each of these examples of churches at one time in your life. But the church that's able to be sacramental, evangelical, and charismatic, or, or in a, a, another way you can say it, a church that is biblically grounded, a church that understands its history and the beauty and the grace that is offered in the sacraments of Christ, and a church that is filled with the Spirit. Now that's the church that's going to be a mighty river flowing in the course of a community and changing that community. That's what we want to be at Church of the Outer Banks, and um, uh, and and so, it, it, but it takes a lot of work. It's not an easy thing to do. Most people kind of find one of those streams because of how they were raised, or or for whatever reasons that that they like best. So let's let's take a look at uh, those three streams really quick, and uh, and then we're really going to kind of dive into uh, to evangelism. So when I talk about the sacramental. Um, stream and sometimes called the Catholic stream. I don't necessarily mean Catholic as in Roman Catholic, um, but what we mean is this idea that the church is connected uh, to its past. Um, our past informs who we are, and our past is a good thing. God has been working for 2,000 years. Uh, in the Christian church, and even before then, uh, as he was as he was preparing the grounds for the church to, for the church to be born, God's been at work, and so the traditions uh, that have been raised up within the church um, aren't necessarily bad things. I think today, in certain sectors uh, of the Christian population, we we think of the word tradition as a bad thing. Um, but when we understand what's been handed down to us through the generations, we can uncover and see the beauty of the things that are present. Um, one of those things is the sacraments that's been handed down to us uh, from Jesus himself, uh, specifically the sacraments of the body and blood of Christ in the Holy Eucharist uh, and the sacrament of baptisms. Uh, we believe that these are efficacious things. They, there is an effect that happens when you engage in these. They're not mere memorials. Uh, they're not just symbolic, um, but they are um, efficacious means of grace that God is at work uh, in, in these sacraments. And so when we dismiss these things as just kind of silly human traditions, we really lose uh, a powerful means of God working in us, nourishing us, strengthening us, uh, and offering us His His grace and His mercy. 
And so we need to be able to look at the sacraments. We need to be able to look at the traditions. And we need to understand that as a body of Christ, we are connected not just to the people that are alive and present with our own congregation, but we are actually connected with a people, uh, all, the, all the Christians that are alive today. We're also connected with all the Christ followers that have ever been before us. Uh, we are uniquely uh, part of their body, even though they may have passed on uh, and, and, and are in heaven now. We are still connected with them. And so uh, this sacramental Catholic stream is a very important thing uh, to inform us of, of our identity. Uh, it, it tells us of the practices and the good things that, uh, that we should continue on in, in traditions. So that's the sacramental Catholic stream. Just barely touched on it. We'll, we probably will go into that another day a little bit more. Uh, the charismatic stream, uh, again, this is something that has been well, it's been around since since the beginning of God's people. The Holy Spirit, the work of, of, of God's Spirit, uh, has been present since the dawn of, of creation. Um, and, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit has been at work in God's people since. But we see on the birthday of the Christian church, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, and He's poured out now uh, not just on... Um, certain individuals for certain times uh, for certain occasions, which is the way the Holy Spirit worked prior to, to Pentecost. But at the coming of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out into the world uh, and it's made available um, to all of those that, that would receive Christ. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit begins to work in people uh, before they can even receive Christ. But what we see is that the Holy Spirit has brought um, gifts to God's people. Uh, we, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and we see those manifest within, um, uh, w within the, the early church. Now, I think a lot of churches today uh, in, in the United States are okay with the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, patience, kindness, um, goodness, etc. But... But they're a little leery of the gifts of the Spirit, things like healing and prophesying and speaking in tongues. And so there's a whole group of Christians that, uh, that we would call cessationists. They believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased um, uh, to, to be at work after that first age, after the apostolic age. Um, but that's, that ignores a huge chunk of the work of the Holy Spirit of all of, of 2,000 years. Um, you can look back and see that God has been doing miracles well after the time that the apostles um, died off. Um, the Holy Spirit was still at work and is still at work today. Really, we've seen uh, if, if we see the Holy Spirit not at work, um, it's not because the Holy Spirit has somehow um, uh, ceased to be active in the world, but, but maybe it's because we've ceased to seek the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to be a church that really does seek those gifts. We want to be a church um, at Church of the Outer Banks that allows those gifts to work uh, we want to see miracles. We want to see uh, gifts of prophecy and, and, and tongues 
uh, rise up w- within um, within the people. Now, there's a whole history of that, and again, this is something we'll go into another day. Uh, what is uh, what was the Pentecostal movement um, in, in history? Where have we seen the Holy Spirit at work um, throughout the history of the church and, and the mystics and folks like John Wesley and uh, the First Great Awakening and then in the Second Great Awakening, Third Great Awakening, etc. Uh, there, there's a great history of, um, uh, of the Holy Spirit at work in the church. And, uh, and, and, and of course, even today, uh, the Holy Spirit is doing magnificent work throughout the world. Um, and I think predominantly that's happening in, in places where the Western influence um, uh, is, is less. Um, and so that's a topic for another day, but that's the charismatic uh, Pentecostal stream. So sacramental stream uh, is one. Uh, the charismatic stream is a second one. And then this, um, this stream of evangelism, uh, which, which is just the idea of sharing the good news. The, the word evangelism uh, comes from a Greek word. Meaning, you, uh, or a Greek word that's euangelion. It, it means good news. Uh, the word gospel comes from this. Uh, gospel was a, a Middle English word, uh, Godspell, uh, or Godspell, G-O-D-S-P-E-L, or some variation of that of that spelling, which simply meant good news. And so, euangelion is is the Greek word that means uh, good news. Uh, the the Latinized version of that was evangelum, and then that gets changed into English. Uh, is evangelism uh, and uh, and its its varieties evangelist etc. Um, and uh, so it's just the idea of, of of good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels uh, of the Bible. Uh, they're the four stories of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, uh, which is which is the good news. Um, <coughs> pardon my cough. I'm sick. So, the good news, in essence, is this, is that Jesus Christ is God. He has come to reclaim his kingdom, and through his death and resurrection uh, and his ascension into heaven, he has done just that. And that you and I, um, if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart and repent and are baptized, that we are allowed to be subjects to his kingdom. We are adopted not just as subjects, uh, but we are made sons and daughters uh, into the great kingdom of God. And that that is open uh, for, for the whole world and all of those who would repent and follow him. From the very beginning uh, of, of the church, we see uh, that, that Jesus commands his disciples Uh, to go out in the world to spread this good news. Uh, The end of Matthew, as Jesus is ascending into heaven, he says, um, you know, go into the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this early church took this role very seriously. I mean, uh, there's reports that St. Thomas, the apostle, uh, the one that we like to call Doubting Thomas, went all the way into India uh, and was martyred there. 
as he was planting and spreading the gospel. There's evidence that the gospel had spread all the way up to the British Isles as early as 37 um, AD, so, so just like four years after after Christ died uh, and, and rose from the dead. It had already spread that far north. Um, you know, Jesus came at, at a unique time in life where the Roman ruler, uh, the Roman world, really had connected uh, every known civilization, and um, and so it made evangelism that 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 much easier to be able to travel these roads. There's the old phrase that you know all roads lead to Rome, and uh, because of trade, because of travel, uh, because of the Roman conquest. Um, people really were able to go out throughout the known world preaching this good news. Now, they did so at a cost, and uh, we see that there was a lot of martyrdom, a lot of loss of life um, in the first several centuries. Um, but in spite of that, in spite of the fact that there was a loss of life, um, the apostles and, and these early followers of Jesus uh, took that risk on because they knew that it was their calling to make sure that they were preaching the good news uh, to the world all around them uh, because they wanted to see other people uh, enter into God's kingdom. Now, we know that one day Jesus is going to come back uh, and his kingdom will be in its completed form then. Uh, heaven and earth will join together in a new creation. We'll have the new heavens and new earth. And we're told that Jesus will rule uh, at that point and God will be here amongst his people. And there will be no pain. There will be no sorrow. There will be no heartache. It will be a beautiful, miraculous time. But until we get to that point of unending eternal grace in the new heavens and the new earth, um, until we get to that point, it's the it is the um, command of 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 God that we preach His kingdom to the entire world, whether they receive it or not is not up to us. Um, what is up to us is that we are obedient. Uh, to God. And uh, the church that doesn't preach the gospel, the good news, the church that doesn't go out into the lost, is a church that is being disobedient uh, to God. Evangelism is scary. It's not an easy thing to do, but it is exactly what we're called to do. Not just through programs. Um, a lot of churches set up, you know, specific programs for evangelism. And that's a great thing. We need uh, um, uh, evangelistic uh, opportunities and programs set up. Things like Alpha um, and, uh, and and other um, uh, specific um, programs that are designed for evangelism. But it's also something that every follower of Christ is called to do in their own personal lives. We're called to to reach our neighbors, our family. Um, and uh, and, our, and our friends, the people in our workplace, we are called to represent Christ and to preach Christ to those. You know, there's a false statement um, uh, that is that is attributed to uh, Saint Francis 
There's no evidence that St. Francis ever said this, but people quote him all the time um, saying, you know, preach the gospel everywhere and when necessary, use words. And um, and, and it seems like a nice sentiment on, on the surface, uh, but it really goes against, um, I think, uh, the scriptural mandate uh, to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. We can do great and wonderful and mighty deeds. Um, we can care for the sick. We can uh, go visit the imprisoned. We can um, take care of orphans and widows. Uh, but without the lesson and the teaching of Jesus Christ, um, then those things can become empty uh, in and of themselves. That that those actions have to be coupled with the name of Jesus Christ and the story of what he did for you and, and for me. Um, and what did he do for you and me? He took on our sins because scripture says uh, in, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. And so you and I and, and everyone in the entire world, everyone that's ever lived, our, our um, punishment uh, is, is eternal separation from, from God. Uh, this, is, th th this, is, this is hell. Um, this is what Scripture uh, talks about. Uh, it's the absence of God. Um, scripture talks about fire and it talks about um, eternal smoke pouring up uh, forever and ever and ever. And uh, apart from God um, and His grace and His salvation that were given through Jesus Christ, that's what we deserve um, because we've all sinned. We, we've all messed up in this life. But Jesus came to take on our sins and He was crucified on the cross as the sacrificial lamb uh, and that in through His blood, and through his actions on the cross, our sin has been atoned for. Our sin has been forgiven. And we are to repent of our past ways. And we are to embrace Jesus uh, and follow him. And when we do, as scripture says, when we confess Jesus as our Lord and believe in him in our hearts, uh, we are made whole and we are adopted into the kingdom of God. And this isn't something that's just uh, reserved for, for a, a certain ethnic group or a certain socioeconomic um, uh, group of people. This is a message for the whole world. And so we, as God's people, um, we need to take it on our shoulders because he's commanded us to do it. But we need to take it on our shoulders to go out and to preach this good news to the world because the world is broken. They need this. They want this. They're hungry for it, even if they don't know they're hungry for it. And so this is the evangelical stream uh, in the history of the church. And, and again, you see it from the very beginning, but then you see it uh, at certain at certain other times in in the life and the history of the church where evangelism is really emphasized. Um, and, uh, and, and I think we are in a place right now, at least in the United States, where evangelism is... Um, uh, it's taking a back seat to other things. Uh, and, and I think as a church, we have to be bold. Uh, we have to stand up 
and proclaim with all of our might about the mighty saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so at Church of the Outer Banks, that is, uh, that is part of who we are. We are going to be an evangelical church that preaches the good news of Jesus. We are going to be a sacramental church that nourishes its people with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ every Sunday. And we're also going to be a spirit-filled church that allows the gifts of the Holy Spirit to rise up. So if you're listening to this and you're not a member of Church of the Outer Banks and you happen to live uh, on the Outer Banks, I would love for you to come and join us uh, every Sunday at uh, 8.30 or 10.10 at the YMCA in Nags Head. Um, if, uh, if you are listening to this and you are not a member of Church of the Outer Banks, uh, but you, you live somewhere else, I want to encourage you to find a church uh, that, that is swimming in these three streams. They might not articulate it that way, um, uh, but look for a church that is a river. Look for a church that is sacramental, that is biblical, and that is spirit-filled. All right, folks, that is uh, today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, you are in my prayers, and I would love to see you guys if you are um, somewhere on the Outer Banks. I'd love to see you guys on Sunday morning. All right, folks, we'll talk to you later. Take care and God bless. Bye.